0: This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Yo, this is Shani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back, listening to Militantly Mixed. Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, a.k.a. Mixed Girl Maine. And if you've been with me for a while, you know that I kind of slowed down a little bit um, on the podcasting side uh, while I was dealing and still am dealing uh, with some some major depression and some heavy grief over the loss of my cat Ronan. Um, this last month has been kind of a difficult month. It started out with my cat Revan, my oldest cat of five, um, being really sick and has having to take him to the emergency room. A week later, my my middle cat, Ronan, also became very sick. Totally unrelated reasons. They're just both getting old. Uh, Revan has been responding to his medications, which has been great. Ronan did not respond to his medications. And while we were still having hope that we were going to be able to find the problem and at least give him a better quality of life and extend his life for a period of time, it turned out that that was not the case. And we lost him a week ago. Fuck. And as you can see, I'm still not, <laughs> I'm still not um, really able to talk about it too much without getting pretty emotional, which is hard to share with people. but. Um, Just trying to be transparent, I guess, so that you know that if I do slow down or if I do end up taking a break, um, that I have some some real reasons or feelings behind it. Uh, Even though militantly mixed is what brought me out of my last case of major, or bout anyway, of major depression, um, I'm really fighting. Another bout of major depression right now. Um, mentioned on the show several times that I I do suffer from chronic persistent depression, and occasionally, like everybody, like most people, I do also get uh, these extra doses of major depression. Totally different, separate mental health issues, but um, uh, that's what I'm dealing with, and so I'm I'm fighting that off right now, which is why I'm trying not to slow all the way down or take a full break from the shows. Uh, Because the shows are what brought me back last time. I'm just really struggling uh, with the effort um, at the moment. It's one of the symptoms of depression. Sometimes you get... It's almost physically difficult for you to do activities of any kind um, and that's kind of what I'm fighting right now. So um, as Lisa on militantly mix, I haven't lo- let I haven't missed an episode but I, I did miss my intro last week. I, I wasn't able to do a normal intro. Um, I did miss an episode of blurred comics last week because I was so sick I haven't been taking care of myself very well um, through the loss of Ronin. So I also got sick, and I didn't really have a voice last week. Um, so I'm, I'm, it's coming back. I'm, I'm still coughing and still achy and everything like that, but yeah, I'm coming back. It's, it, it'll just be the way things are for a little while. Um, I'm really excited, though, to share this week's guest with you. But before I do that, I want to mention one of the things that has been a, a happy thing for me over the last uh, week or so is I was able to meet a friend in person for the first time. Gerald Jones from what was originally the Buyback Podcast, the voice of Black business. And now I think he's changing the name of the show to just... the voice of black business with Gerald Jones. He and I met through the Black Podcasters United group last year and I started listening to his show because the topics on his show speak directly to some of the things I'm trying to do in my own life. So I became a fan of his show and by extension, a fan of him, I started reaching out to him and he was able to advise me before I started doing my public speaking engagements last year. And then through that, we just developed a friendship, uh, you know, shared support system, mixed or black podcasters. We also share a lot of the same podcasting friends and everything like that. So he was here in town in Los Angeles last week, and uh, we were able to meet up for lunch, which was awesome. We had really good falafel and really good conversation. And it it was really like seeing an old friend after a really long time, even though we'd never met in person, we've been engaging for at least close to maybe six to eight months at this point since I haven't quite hit an anniversary date for the shows but he's just a person that I'm excited for his success. He was excited for my success. He's really supportive and it was it was nice. It was a great time. You can see a photo of us on both the Militantly Mixed and the Blurred Comics Instagrams right after we had our lunch together and it was just nice. Through the Black Podcasters United group um, I've developed some really great podcasting relationships. The podcasting world can be kind of small, especially the black podcasting world or the of color podcasting world. Uh, but Gerald has been a great support. I'm excited for his success as well. And um, along with the other people who you've heard me talk about from time to time, the Why So Serious podcast with Brandon and Devin Carr. Mike Hassoun also has been a guest on this show. Stephanie from Oka Minutes has been a guest on Blurred Comics, and I've been guests on their shows as well. Uh, Derek Jones from the Single Sign of Class podcast. It's just, so many good people old man wade also um another one and we are just we're you know we're all connected now and um we're supporting each other and we're excited for each other's success and it doesn't feel like competition and it's awesome so that's the the happy thing that i would like to talk about this week just because um it's been a it's been a tough it's been a tough time so it's nice to have that uh, ray of sunshine in the midst of everything else that i am going through but let's move on to the show. Uh so this week I'm trying to continue on in the mixed race women of color podcasters for Women's History Month. Luckily, my first two weeks of this month, I had guests both Jackie and Ginger, or people that I met through the WOC Podcasters group also on Facebook. So these are the two social podcasting groups that I get the most out of personally, Black Podcasters United and WOC Podcasters. The mainstream podcasting groups aren't necessarily as supportive. Uh, you know, you might get some technical knowledge or things like that, but when it comes to sharing about your show specifically, or in my case, the topics of my show, I, I'm told I'm, my show is too political because it deals with race, which my show isn't political. If you listen, you know, it's about experience. And my, just because we're of, of color doesn't mean that our experience is political. So it's nice to have these safe havens, the WOC Podcaster Group and the Black Podcasters United Group groups to, to just connect and support each other and be excited for the types of shows that, that people are out there doing. So uh, Jackie and Ginger were my first two guests this month, and we are continuing on with uh, Tangia Renee. She has two shows. That's What She Did, which is her Women's History Month show. It's an annual show or seasonal show uh, where they talk about women of color that have had success or endeavors that you may never have heard of so that's one of her shows and her other show which is the one that i connected to first before uh, we spoke is the the skin you're in show which is a woc based fitness and wellness podcast she starts off her show very Open and transparent about her own life and her own struggles with her fitness and her wellness and um, her family life and things. We ju- and then from there she jumps into you know more expert base and tips and tricks and things like that with a primary focus on women of color. So it's a really good show if you and it's on all the platforms. So look for it if you are seeking that out. But she is a mixed race woman who identifies as Afro Latina, and we get into how her uh, mixed heritage and cultural upbringings feed into her identity as as a a woman today. And also just how being a woman of color has to deal with uh, fitness and wellness differently than what we see in the mainstream. And when we say mainstream, unfortunately, we are saying white because that is what's available to us. Uh, So it was a great conversation. The strange thing about this one is that I usually pre-screen all of my guests, but with everything that I had going on, and with her busy schedule as well, we basically were just able to schedule the interview outright, and so we didn't have a lot of getting to know you time before we started recording. Uh, once we turned off the recorder, though, we continued to talk for another couple hours that night, and it was really great. It was um, to steal the the term that I got from Allison Hart from a previous episode. It was a medicine conversation. You know, we just shared our individual experiences and our family stories and and sort of work stories and inspiration things. And you know, next thing you know, it's two uh, two more hours have gone by in our conversation. So it was it was really great to get to know Tenjia Renee. I I am excited for her success and growth as well, and I'm glad and grateful to have her on the show to just offer another another perspective, another experience of um, mixed race women out there. So let's continue on with this Women's History Month mixed race women of color podcasters thing, and I will. I'll try to get back into sort of the normal flow. If you listen to the show, you know you can sponsor us through Patreon and PayPal paypal.me slash mix, patreon.com slash mix. you can also google us if you want to find all of our things the support does help and we really appreciate it but um i think with everything i've talked about so far it's probably best to just go ahead and go on to the show so thank you to my audience and to my guests for bearing with me while i'm dealing with the stuff i'm dealing with right now um i'm trying not to take breaks or or let you all down but I'm also trying to be aware that self-care is important as well. So if I do end up taking a little bit of breaks, I hope you understand in advance. And until then, just thank you for your continued support of the show. And without further ado, let's go on to my interview with Tangio Rene. Renee. To continue on in this month's mixed race women of color podcasters i am joined this week by tangia renee who like me is several podcasts that they're putting out (laughs) that she's putting out so why don't you tangia why don't you introduce yourself to our audience and then let's get going
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Charmaine. So my name is Tangia Renee. I am a speaker. I am a PR strategist, certified health coach, and personal trainer um, operating under my own brand, TangierRenee.com, where I work with women to help them feel incredible in their bodies and get real about their health. I'm also a podcaster hosting two shows, The Skin You're In podcast, and that's what she did podcast as well.
0: So the Skin You're In podcast is the one that I've heard so far, a few episodes, and you go in transparent, real personal. You tell a story about how you were raised, your fathers, both, I I would assume it's okay to say both fathers. Yep. Um, (laughs) Because I, my, my husband is adopted, but he didn't know he was adopted by his father, by his dad. His mom Mm -hmm. is his biological mom. He did not know his dad was not his father until he was older. And so now that's how he distinguishes them as one is his dad and one is his father. The dad yeah, is the same. guy who raised him.
1: I yeah. mean, you said
0: something like that too on your show. And I was like, oh, I get that now. <laughs> like, Cause I didn't understand it when, I, when we got together. But <laughs> I get it, I get it now that I've been in that family. So why don't we talk a little bit about what your ethnic background is and then what you understood about who you were mixed wise growing up.
1: Sure. So I identify as Afro-Latina. Um, my more specifically, my ethnic background is my mom it, my mom identifies as Hispanic. God help me. Uh, oh, but... I will
0: put a link in the show notes to explain to everybody the difference between Hispanic and Latin. Please do. Because <laughs> I have a, a, a whole thing. thing. <laughs> I know my grandma still says she's oriental and I'm like, Grandma, stop saying that. You please. don't have to be a dish. Yes. You can be a
1: whole ass person. Yes, <laughs> like I, I'm always like, mom, like that's not those aren't people. It's it's just a word that the government made up. Doesn't mean anything. <laughs> she's like, I am Hispanic and I am a citizen of the world. And like, oh, oh no, And I'm like, okay, okay, <laughs> so, mom, whatever, whatever. I love you, mom. She's probably never gonna listen to this. <laughs> so she identifies as Hispanic. We are. Um, multi-ethnic Latino hailing from all over Latin America and mm-hmm. some Spanish from Spain in there as well okay. on my mom's side. And my father is African American, identifying as black.
0: And you are very light skinned. Yeah. Too. Do you I get am... that from both sides or from...
1: The Hispanics. <laughs> you know what is hilarious is I am lighter complected than both of my parents. Mm. Oh, you gotta love jeans. I swear. Yeah, I'll be like, I, love yeah. I don't know where the the super light jean came from, but I inherited it, which is just funny because it makes me like I am I am an Afro Latina. Like you would think that I my father is black, my mom is. Latina and she's darker complected than I am. In fact, oftentimes people assume that my mom is Native American Mm. because especially in the summertime, her skin is just this bronze color. (laughs) She has dark, you know, black hair and my hair is even like on the camera looking at each other. Now it looks black. My hair isn't black. It's like I was when I was born, I have like blonde and red streaks, natural streaks throughout my hair. So it's even more it's different, like I. <laughs> like that's got
0: to come from the Spanish
1: side or something somewhere. Uh, yeah, it's somewhere. got to. It's got to. So I just pulled those jeans, and I ended up lighter complected than almost everyone in my family. Except I have a couple of cousins who are half white, and they mm. they just look white, like they have like strawberry blonde hair oh, really? and blue
0: Are you the only of your both of your parents?
1: Yes. Okay. So I'm the only child of my parents marriage and then my mom remarried when I was four or five Mm -hmm. and so all of my younger siblings are of that marriage
0: right okay so you don't even have anybody to kind of compare see what would happen what would have happened it's just me (laughs) because I have a half sister who looks just like me at her Every age she is, she has been. I have looked exactly the same, except for she looked like a white blonde version of me. And it's mm. really weird to see my face if I were to, if I was going to be a white there. girl. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's very weird. And then my brother, my full brother and my half brother both look Mexican or some kind of Asian mix. Like mm-hmm. they're just it's just, well, the the half Mexican one looks Mexican, but the the half Asian and black one, like myself. He looks like like Sean Lennon or something like that, like you uh, that kind of vague, yeah. vaguely white, vaguely Asian sort of look. Um, so that's interesting. That oh, okay, so you do describe yourself as Afro Latina, mm-hmm. but not Afro Latina from your mother being Afro Latina, but the combination of African American Asian. Okay, yep. that's how you that's how you break it out.
1: Mm-hmm. That's how I break it out. It's, I mean, and I know that for some people that's controversial um and hey that's what the show's about let's get
0: into it (laughs) and
1: I just feel like I don't care like I get to define my identity for myself and as a woman of color I don't need other people particularly people of color telling me who I can and cannot be Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: uh, in this day and age it is the most encompassing terminology I can find that allows for both identities to exist in the same space and as a mixed person, you're struggling with that on every avenue oh, well, is yeah. what am I? Because and you're constantly being asked, what are you? I
0: know.
1: And it's like this long thing. Well, I'm like, I'm half black and I'm half Latina. And then, you know, like the term Latina, like when I was growing up, people didn't say Latino Latina. Mm-hmm. They said Hispanic. And I mm-hmm. never liked that word. And, and it wasn't until I got into college that like Latina was really an accepted word. hmm. And then so I started using it. And I would say, well, I'm half black and I'm half Latina. And then I would have to explain Latina to people. And then it was just like a thing, like this thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know?
0: And that gives you a shorthand because otherwise you're going to take 20 minutes to describe what exactly you already feel. Yeah. And as if it's not complicated enough for whenever you feel more black or more Right, Latin or whatever.
1: Yes, exactly. So I choose that term because it feels the most encompassing to who I am as a person, Um, and I understand why it's going to be not accepted by some people. I by using that term, I'm not saying that I'm black. I'm certainly not black presenting, and I don't believe that my experience as a as a mixed woman in America is the same as like a black woman's experience in America. Right. I totally understand that. It's not the same. I totally understand and acknowledge that I have light skin privilege and I have seen that play out Uh, in real time in my life. And I understand, um, but I'm choosing to use the term because again, it's just the most encompassing to who I am. And, and so that's what I'm going to do and I'm not going to apologize for it.
0: Are you seen often? Are you clocked as being half black from black folks?
1: Um, It depends. So black folks will typically say you're black right. or you're Same half black, right? Like they will immediately clock me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, it, and it's like, it's this funny thing. Like on more than one occasion, I've been like, minding my own business and just <laughs> someone just comes up life. you black yes, right <laughs> somebody would come up to me and go you're one of us right <laughs> and I would be like can I'm so be- glad can you explain what you mean by one of us because of like, so if you're glad. a terrorist I'm definitely not one of you
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you said it though because I try to explain that even to me like you see how I present um, because we are staring at each other right now um, I'm I'm a yellow black girl from the hood I grew up black, but I look like this. So when random black folks come up to me and they're like, you're black, right? I'm like, thank you. fine." You know, yes. you see me, you know, <laughs> whereas like a Japanese is never going to walk up and be like, you're one of us, right? They're going to be like, yeah. oh, it's so cute that you think you're one of us. <laughs> Don't even try it. Uh, so like to hear another person kind of have that same experience of just like, being racially ambiguous, like you and I both present, which depending on who we're standing next to, we could switch mm-hmm. races with our faces um, and probably our hair too, because I don't have yeah. like black textured hair, but I can look like I have black textured hair depending on what I do to it. Um, yeah,
1: same. I have, um, I don't have black hair, but if I, if my hair is braided, mm-hmm. then it can, it can like pass, Right. right? And until I unbraid it but it's just this weird thing where yeah I'm passable depending on who I'm standing next to and for some reason which doesn't bother me at all I actually like I'm like thanks for seeing me black people are like oh you're black <laughs> like, it they, is a weird thing right
0: yeah. it's weird how like because if white folks come up to me if it ever were to happen which it never ever ever has where they're like, "You're part white, aren't you?" Oh yeah, they won't say that. They would never say it to me, never once. <laughs> but if it were to ever s- happen, I almost feel like I would clutch my pearls and be like, "How dare you? <laughs> you <know>? like, <laughs> can you not see that I'm a black woman with yellow skin?" Um, like <laughs> because like I just don't—I didn't grow up around white people, so when I started to be around white people, I felt like they were foreign. Yeah. Even though there seems to be more of them.
1: Yeah. So that, it was a different experience for me. So I, my childhood wasn't, it was unique. It wasn't like bad. It was good, but it was unique Mm. in that my stepfather is Saudi. So like me and all my siblings are mixed. We're just mixed with different things. things, Right. So my, my stepfather is Saudi. So I was, my dad who raised me is, um, was an immigrant to this country who is a Muslim man and we traveled a lot because of his job. So we mm. like grew up sort of like expats living in other countries, oftentimes. Mm. And when we would come back to the United States, we were either in um, Montbello, which in Denver, it's a predominantly, well, was at a predominantly historically black neighborhood Mm. because it was redlined when this, when the community uh, was first built.
2: Okay.
1: Um, and so that's where my grandparents, um, landed when they moved to Denver from the rural part of Colorado. And so that's where my mom grew up. Mm. And then we would either be living there or, and sometimes we would be like in the suburbs in a, like almost exclusively white neighborhood. So I've always been in this gray area around people. So like when you, when you are a person, when you are an American and you travel abroad and you're a person of color, I mean, for the most part, if you're not black, people just don't ask you about race in other countries. Oh, okay. They don't. Right. They just, they're just like, what, what country are you from? Right. And that's all they care about. That's the only thing they want to know. And then it's like on to the next thing. But then you come back to the United States and everybody is trying to label you by how, how dark are you? <laughs> like, there's right. different levels, right? right? And so I grew up just being this person that k- could kind of come in and out of, and code switch really quickly because I was raised having to do that because we were either in another country right. or we were in a predominantly black neighborhood or we were in a almost exclusively white neighborhood. Mm.
0: so when you travel when whenever you lived abroad um and pretty much people just accepted you as american or whatever um d- did you ever feel did j- I'm trying to figure out what you would feel like what is your I'm trying to figure out I guess if you have like an a second generation a first generation experience even though you're from here you know um, kind
1: of yeah a, a little bit um because my stepfather is Saudi he you know, came here as an immigrant he he moved to the United States for well he didn't move to the United States he came on a visa to go to school he came mm-hmm. to college in Denver my mom was in college that's how my parents met and then he ended up getting his residency you know the permanent residency because he married my mom mm. so built a life here so yeah so I have that like one parent who is an who's an immigrant making me sort of this first generation and I'm the oldest of all of my siblings. Right. So I have a lot of the I had a lot of those stereotypical fob moments mm-hmm. growing up with like the parent that like yells at you for doing American things at every other
0: <laughs> right. kid like, I was literally born here. But, yeah. <laughs> <I was> like <laughs> what do you want from me? <laughs> I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking
1: about. <laughs> like, like how dare I, <laughs> I would be like you mean like you know that when <laughs> you say back home, home to me
0: that's denver right like...
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he would be like that whole back home thing and i would be like this is home here like i was born
2: here <laughs> we're sorry. talking
1: about so there's a lot of those you know fob moments who who children of immigrants will understand completely a mm-hmm. lot of that stuff um and just like not understanding this, especially as a Muslim man, like not understanding raising this American girl in an American society. Right. And uh, he comes from such a conservative society. So there was that whole thing. And then there was this underlying thing of me growing up is like, I've, you know, one of your questions was was like, what was my understanding of my ethnicity? I've always known that I was mixed and I've mm-hmm. always known what my mix was. It was never something that wasn't out in the open in my family Mm -hmm. there wasn't a reason for it not to be and it wasn't until really I got into like late middle school like kind of seventh eighth grade and that's when kids are like real assholes about Mm -hmm. that age that I realized that I was seen as different Um, because up until then I was mostly just around my family right you know in an elementary school everybody's just like is just a little kid (laughs) right and then you get into middle school and it's a different dynamic and it wasn't until I was in middle school that I came to understand that there was something different about me because I was mixed race Um, and that some people really looked down on that right Um, because wasn't it was never an issue in my family like on any level, I can't remember being a little kid and, and even having weirdness about race, mm-hmm. any race. Right. It was just such a normal thing. And, um, you know, I, I'm not the only mixed person in my family. Right. My aunts and uncles always, almost always um, married somebody else, you know, of a different race. Right.
0: <laughs> and whenever brown folks move to different places where there's a lot of white folks... And there's no other brown folks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? What are they going to do?
0: You know, like, they're going to (laughs) partner.
1: I mean, people got to copulate. What are they going to do? You know? So it was was not something that even occurred to me that I needed to be thinking about. And I was probably in the... I I was about the seventh grade, um, the first time somebody called me monkey because of the size of my lips. And I remember, like, being like, what does that's that a mean? Throwback
0: and a half. Yeah, that's I, somebody's it, dad.
1: That it, it was this white kid in, in uh, one of my classes and I didn't know what it meant. Like I wasn't I didn't right. know enough to even be upset about it. I was like, What is he talking about? <laughs> right. And uh and then I don't I re- I didn't ask my mom, but I don't remember who I asked about it. And they were like, Well, they're saying that, you know, you're a monkey and then like kind of sort of explained blackface to me in a way that mm-hmm. you would try to innocently explain it to a child. Um, and so there were a lot of incidents like that um, through from then on through high school of white boys specifically mm-hmm. trying to make fun of my lips right um
0: so did that ever shift though like as you get into high school into a more so for me same thing uh it started like sixth grade because we had a fish tank in our classroom where there was a fish who had big old lips so I was fish lips during that time and then junior high and uh, it continued on horse lips fish lips all the kind of things that talked about me in an animal form but then by junior by Freshman and sophomore year, now my big lips were a prize, Mm. you know, a a sexual prize. And I, I, it was so, it was so hard to try to figure out that the same boys that used to make fun of me in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, all of a sudden by ninth grade were trying to get at me because of these things that they were making fun of me for. So did you have that transition of being like, first made fun of and then exo- exoticized by exoticized.
1: Yeah. It. Um, and it happened very quickly and I was not prepared for it because it happened before I was sexually mature enough right. to process it. So like in the sixth grade, um, is when sort of the, the taunt started. And then I was really like, in the seventh grade, I felt a little bit of a shift, but I don't think I even had the language at that point to name it.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then, just over the summer break of seventh grade to eighth grade, um, and also probably not so much in sixth grade because I wasn't in the country for all of sixth grade. I was only there mm-hmm. for part of it. And then the summer of seventh grade is like over the course of a summer, my body just developed. Same so, for me. <laughs> seventh grade I was still like this very much this like tomboy awkward stage came back to eighth grade looking like a completely different person same to me and (laughs) oh my gosh was not ready for that no
0: (laughs) went from like little nipple hills to like a full-ass b-cup and then the girls even the girls had harassed me because obviously I was trying to get boys attention and these weren't real you know
1: yeah, I came back 8th grade um and again I was I was gone for the beginning of 8th grade. I think I came back in the middle of the year. Came back to the same school. Mm. Um again in a predominantly white neighborhood. So I ha- uh, my same friends were there from the previous year, but I looked different. Mm. And I was taller than all of the other girls. I had I shot up in that summer like to my full height. I'm five seven. Mm. So in the eighth grade, a five seven girl was pretty tall. Yeah, tall. Looks <laughs> pretty tall. And in fact, I was so tall that like the basketball coach was like, "You need to play basketball." So I just started playing basketball. I was like one of the tallest girls
0: on the Did you have any coordination though? Or I was you... actually pretty good. Oh, yeah, good. Was, like, <laughs> well, at least it wasn't just because you were tall. <laughs> uh,
1: we. I found that I'm a, a nat- I was a natural athlete, and I picked up. Even though I didn't really like basketball, I picked it up, and I ha- ended up having a good time with it. But um, mm-hmm. I yeah, I was. A completely different person like I was the size of the teachers I was I was bigger in fact than some of the teachers okay. and I just had like this adult body and so the boys immediately noticed and I didn't know what to do with that like it was really uncomfortable to me so I just went through this long tomboy stage mm. um, and you know this was the 90s and so it was kind of the thing to be tomboy anyway and so I was like in baggy jeans and flannel shirts yeah. all the time yeah um and even even doing that the boys were still pretty brutal and their sexual innuendos and to me it was just bizarre because I was the same person mm-hmm. I was still just emotionally you know I was a, a 12 13 year old girl emotionally. right <laughs> even
0: like, though I was regularly
1: mistaken for a 17 or 18 year old girl wow uh, so you, it was really confusing. You seemed that much, or you appeared that much older mm.
0: at that age. That, that I had didn't. been rough with a lot of the sexualization of, of you at that age.
1: Yeah. And it was just gross. I mean, grown men, you know, approaching me on the street. I had grown men. I had, like, there were so many incidents of men chasing me and following me mm-hmm. in public and just being really freaked out about that. And then I, and, this was also a time when like Mariah Carey was probably at the height of her career. Like Mm -hmm. she had really blowing up in, in this, you know, early mid nineties period music box time period. Um, yeah, yeah. It was about that time. Yeah. And so people would stop me like in the grocery store or on the street and say, Oh, has anybody ever told you that you resemble Mariah Carey? And, I would just think like, what are they talking about? Because I don't have blonde honey colored hair. Right. Um, and I don't like, we don't look anything alike, not at all. Um, but she's mixed racially
2: ambiguous face, racially
1: ambiguous. Um, and so that, that was really about the time when I started constantly being asked about my race. Right.
2: Um,
1: I was always aware of it. Like kids in school, once we became friends would kind of ask me, Um, but again, like even at a young age, mostly the black kids immediately assumed that I was half black right? and it would be other kids that would kind of ask. And then white kids never asked, but if they were going to make racist jokes, I realized really quickly that they assumed that I, they assumed that I was, like, Hispanic because that was the word that was being used. Okay. Or they assumed I was whatever the person was standing next to me.
2: Right, right? right.
1: And because of that, like, they didn't, like, I realized right away, probably around the eighth or ninth grade, that they didn't associate me with blackness. And so they would say very racist things about black people and be completely comfortable saying them. Because they yeah. didn't think any black people were in the room.
0: That is also a very strange part about being mixed, like, or like my family, when you're incognito um, and people can just be, mm-hmm. you know, show their whole ass in front of you, and you, you have to be there and say, Do I decide in this moment to say, don't say that because I'm black, too? Or mm. just don't say that because it's racist and not even reveal that you are black like because what's what's the important part of the racism in that moment that a black person heard it or that it's racist in general and I think Mm -hmm. at that young age that was hard for me I did not get that like when that kind of stuff started happening for me I'd just be like you do know I'm black right and yeah and that was the way I countered the racism and it took until adulthood before I was like you do know you're racist right you know it Mm -hmm. takes because no one's there uh, teaching us
1: Yeah, agreed. And and obviously, when you're a seventh, eighth grader, you're not making that up. You're getting it from your house, from from wherever you're being raised. And like you, I would just say, like, well, I'm half black. That was really a racist thing to say. And it would drop. Um, And it wasn't until adulthood that I did I would say that's a really racist thing to say. That's really wrong to say. And and now I don't identify my race when people are being racist. Right. But I find that that aspect has not changed is um, for whatever reason, white people don't associate me with blackness. And so they will oftentimes show their whole entire ass. And, and what's, what's the worst part about that is when, people of color do it. I know. It's so much more disappointing. And like, then I'm just ex- like, that. when a person of color does it, that makes me feel physically sick. Yeah. Because I'm like... And this happened recently. I was, I was at a friend's house and they were having this big party. We were like hanging out. And someone, a guest at their party, like somebody they knew, someone that I don't know, was there. And we were all sitting around this table kind of talking. And this guy was had been, you know, drinking. Everybody had been drinking. So I'm reluctant to say that he said what he said because he had been drinking. I'm like, everybody at the party had been drinking. He was the only one saying racist shit. (laughs) (laughs) But all like, we were talking about, I was there with my husband and we were hanging out and somebody said something about going to Atlanta. And I was like, oh, we were just recently in Atlanta. And we were all talking about Atlanta, about how much we had had a great time when we were there and like the things that we did and da, 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 da. And this guy out of nowhere goes, oh, yeah, I heard Atlanta is nice, but aren't there a lot of... And he used the Spanish word for the N-word. He said it in Spanish. And everybody kind of paused. And, you know, it was that awkward moment, and he didn't pick up on the social cue. Everybody kind of paused and looked at him. And in that moment, I was like... (sighs) do I am I gonna do it am I gonna right. like, call him out because I was having a really good time and now I'm not having a good time yeah and as I was thinking that thought he said it again oh come on like, Well now I have to double
0: down <laughs> so, on it like in case y'all didn't hear me <laughs>
1: yeah, it, that's exactly what it was and I think that's what he thought because everybody paused and it was like in his mind oh they didn't hear me so let me Say it again, wow. and he said it again and again. Everybody just looked at him, and then that's when I was like, "Why? Why did you just say that?" And I said, "Do you have a problem with black people?" And he goes, "Oh, I don't. No, no, no. I'm not racist." And I said, "Well, then why are you saying the n-word?" Yeah. And he goes, "Oh, you know, you know how we be like, you know how we are, but like, we we're could just, just with us." Our- Like, we're just with our people. And I said, no, I don't. I don't use that word ever. I don't ever use that word. So why are you saying it unless you don't like black people? Mm. And it was, like, dead silent. You know, like, when the the record scratches? Yeah. (laughs) That's what was happening. Okay. and he kind of backed off and then he was like, like he looked around to see if anybody was going to support him and nobody did. Everybody just looked at him. You hope, you hope and then does. he backpedaled and was like, Oh, I didn't mean it like that. I apologize if I offended you. And I was like, don't apologize for don't offending me. Apologize just, for being racist.
0: Right. This, if I hurt your feelings, apology drives me insane. I know. Yeah, what it's, is wrong so, with people?
1: That has happened more times than I can count. And I think, I consider that to be part of my privilege as being a white, a light skinned person is that I can go into those spaces. And even when I don't want to call it out, mm-hmm. I feel like I have a responsibility to, right. because a racist person is going to be racist, but they're going to watch what they say. If there's a black person in the room. Right. Right. And so, so they're always saying racist things around people that they can get away with it. Yeah. And I, like, I think, even though I, I love everybody who I know that was there at that party that day sitting around that table, I, I believe that they're not racist. And, and you could tell from their reaction that they didn't like what he was saying. Mm-hmm. They didn't agree with it. But they also didn't feel like they were supposed to do something about it.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, allyship, whether it's, like, a person of color allyship or, or a white person. is like, it has to come from everybody. It can't just come from the I people that see. are being affected per- directly by yeah. the racism.
1: Yeah, so that's why now as an adult and when those situations happen, I don't bring up my ethnicity. I don't talk mm-hmm. about my own blackness because then they immediately dismiss it as, right. oh, well, you're black. And of course I would never say that. if i knew a black person if i knew yeah right and that you're missing the point
0: right i think that's fair to not use that moment to come out as mixed you know i I do think that's a fair moment
1: yeah and it was weird and i was able to kind of talk to some people after that because he like it just got real awkward and then so he left not that that long after that incident happened and then somebody at the party was like hey i apologize for him and i was like don't apologize for him. Educate you, him. <laughs> yeah. Like you didn't say it. I was like, but had I not been here, I don't think anybody, I don't think you would have called it out. I think right. he, no one would have said anything and he would continue thinking that it's okay to say those things just as long as there isn't an obviously black person in the room. Right. And I was like, that's the thing that I find disappointing about the entire situation. Like, Hey, if it happens and I'm there. I have a responsibility to say something about it, but everybody else does too.
0: Everybody else does. And it's
1: not just because I'm the only person in the room who happens to be mixed race with black. Right. Like, you guys aren't, but you knew it was wrong. Right. You knew it was wrong. Right. So that's the thing, like, that gets me is when, like, other people of color, either A, are being very clearly racist, Mm -hmm. and specifically being anti-black or anti-whatever particular race they're hating on that day. Mm -hmm. Um, But when a person of color lets it slide because it's easier.
0: Yeah, and see, that's the other thing too. Like, is it, it seems way more damaging as you're going home. If you're, if you're the person of color that let it slide and you go home and you got to think about that moment and think about all the white people that might've been around and witnessed it and saw you let it slide. Mm-hmm. And now they're not going to be as stressed out when they hear it in the future because they're like, well, I know there's one person of color, you know, fill in the blank mm-hmm. person um, who let it go. So I'm going to go ahead and let it go. And mm-hmm. then who knows what fallout like that would make me feel sicker yeah. as time went on if I didn't deal with it right in the moment. And yet at the same time, I'm like, why is it always my responsibility to be the one? You know, mm-hmm. it's, just it's that-
1: frustrating. It's it's just like one of the many layers of things that you deal with when you are racially ambiguous. Right? right. Like and that's that's been a a big theme for me throughout my life is yes I'm I'm mixed, but I'm not just mixed, I'm racially ambiguous. Right. And people don't know how to categorize me and you know I was sharing with you before recently I was in Thailand and Thai people were walking up to me and just started speaking Thai. And I, I don't, to my knowledge, I'm, I don't have any Asian heritage, to my knowledge. Right. Um, so the fact that people think that I might be Thai is mind-blowing. Right. Me. But it happens almost everywhere I
0: go. And it's funny because because you we and I are looking at each other. When you said that, I w- before I'm looking at, someone who I could distinguish as ha- as half black and then you said that and I was like oh damn now she's Asian like yeah, the second you said it your face it. shifted and yeah. then er, a little bit ago you kind of laughed and you you put your hands up in front of your face and then you were black again and it was just like <laughs> this is what happens to our faces this is why I'm Filipino or Mexican in yeah. LA or I'm Dominican or Puerto Rican in
1: New York like our yeah. faces are so it's crazy awesome like weird In Denver, if you're brown, it's automatically assumed that you're Mexican. So in Denver, I'm Mexican. You're right. In New York, I'm Puerto Rican. When Mm -hmm. I was in New York recently, people were like, "Hey, mommy!" Yeah, they just start speaking Spanish. (laughs) 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 I'm from Denver dude I don't know what
0: like what <laughs> I think that's the why when someone just say you're black right you're like thanks for catching yeah, any part of it because <laughs> damn you don't know how often I am everything but
1: <laughs> everything. Like, I went with my sister once to this Korean restaurant um and <laughs> we sit down we order it was one of those what's it called I think it's called hot pot or something mm-hmm. I don't know, like they. It's like Cook cooked in front of you, bread yeah. Bread. yeah, yeah. And um, they started bringing over this stuff that I have never seen before. And finally, I asked the waiter. I was like, "What is that?" And he gave me this crazy look. And he <laughs> said it. And it was this Korean word, and I was like, "I don't know what that is." And he like stepped back from the table. And he looked at me, and he looked at my sister, and he looked at me again. And he goes, "You're not Korean, like." in an accusation right and i was like no <laughs> <laughs> he goes oh i thought you were korean and, and the way he said it was like how dare you not be korean it's
0: <laughs> like you've disappointed his ancestors some kind of
1: way <laughs> i disappointed him and that happens with this like surprising regularity it, with like people assume that you're whatever they assume that you are when you're just living your life, like I'm just right. trying to have dinner with my sister. Right. And <laughs> and then they're disappointed in you or there's like, there's almost a sense of betrayal. Yeah. About like, how dare you? And I'm like, I don't know what like, it's cultural <laughs> responsibility you just laid at my feet I but i can't help you with that <laughs> I when i was growing up in long beach
0: um there was a lot of mexican kids a lot of black kids and stuff and the mexicans because i had crunchy curly hair and i stacked my bangs because it was the time mm-hmm. it was the 90s um i had this one kid go uh oh, you should be proud that you look mexican and i'm like I, I don't think I look Mexican. Like, I don't know, what am I supposed to be proud? He's like, aren't you proud, you know, that you're one of us because we're a proud people? And I'm like, I can't be proud of who my actual people are. I got to be proud of these, like, hypothetical people that I just happen to look like if I stand next to you. Because if I walk over there to the to the Hmong kids, I'm going to be Hmong in a second. Like Like, whatever. I can't do anything about it. It is weird, yeah. that responsibility that gets laid at your feet just because... Yeah
1: somebody else
0: confused you
1: yeah it's so strange and i don't ever want to you know i don't really know what to do with it like i don't want to offend them because i respect that at a at a moment's notice they were just ready to like welcome me right they were ready to be like oh my people like let me bring (laughs) you the stuff from the back of the refrigerator that we don't serve you were about to get a korean discount but you didn't you weren't korean enough (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, I appreciate that, like, immediate recognition of, like, we are in this together. And so I want to treat that with, you know, care. Right. But I also, like, I'm I'm not. And I'm, like, I don't know what to do with that moment of realization when they feel <laughs> disappointed. And, and then I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah, what you am know, I
0: what are you apologizing for? for? <laughs> there needs to be this other word where you kind of feel bad that they are disappointed but you're still super proud of who you are and accident sorry
1: it's just this weird thing that I'm constantly navigating and it comes at it, it like it never stops it comes at the oddest moments like one time I was I don't remember where I was flying but I was catching a flight connecting in Miami And I'm sitting there and I can see this guy that like keeps kind of smiling at me. And then um, he said something to me, but he was kind of far away and I didn't hear him. And I couldn't tell if he was speaking Arabic or, or, I'm sorry, English or Spanish. Um, But then he, I said, excuse me. And he goes, oh, you're not Cuban. (laughs) <laughs> and it, he was like so angry with me and i was like no <laughs> i'm not cuban <laughs> like, I'm so, like, and again i'm sorry like i'm just trying to connect i'm trying to catch a flight like you're trying to catch a flight bro yeah. like i don't know what you want from me right
0: how now. are you mad at me because you got the wrong idea
1: yeah. so it's this it's this just this weird <laughs> thing, this weird gray area that I'm always trying to navigate and I never feel prepared for. Right. Because so even I- though it happens all the time, you think, <laughs> I'm going to be ready next time. But they throw
0: you. They throw yeah. you in some kind of way. I had this Arabic dude in, I was buying t-shirts in New York, like the first time I ever went to New York. So I was buying t-shirts to go back home. And he starts speaking Spanish to me. And I go, I don't speak Spanish. And he said, what kind of Puerto Rican doesn't speak Spanish? And I go, a black and Japanese <laughs> the, one. And he goes, that's not Puerto <laughs> <right>? <laughs> and, he, and so then he starts speaking Japanese to me. And I was like, whoa, 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 slow down. I, I'm like, my Japanese is not that good. And, and then so we, he says a couple things, and I say a couple things. And then at the very end, I pay him. I get my stuff, and I say "shukran" as I'm leaving. And he goes, "Oh, Arabic, you speak?" And I'm like, oh, "Well, my I husband." <laughs> like, <dare you>. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I was like, it's plus it's like one word. I know like, I know like a couple cuss words and some yeah. and some and some phrases in Arabic because my best friend was Arabic and my husband's half Arabic." Um yeah. but
1: uh, <laughs> but it was yeah, fun. it was so like I, with my stepdad being Arabian, like I don't like my Arabic is not great but I, I understand. Right. So, Mm -hmm. and I look Arabian, but because of my racial ambiguity, like I was just in Saudi and we were just in the UAE. They, they assume that I'm from the Middle East, but they can't quite figure out what kind of Arab I am just by looking at me. So they're, they're constantly like, are you Saudi or mm-hmm. like are you Saudi or are you Moroccan are you because that determines like how they're gonna talk to you right you know there's like if you're different... cool
0: or if you're yeah, yeah. Uh, right <laughs> Like,
1: what kind of Arab are you yeah. <laughs> yeah they're trying to figure out I can see it when they're looking at me they're trying to figure it out like they they automatically assume that like I'm part of the Arabian people but like what which one are you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I need to know if I can like you or not.
1: Yeah, like, Tell me. I need to know how, how good we're going to get along right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only other place it happens but you know it all like my experience throughout the Middle East is that they're such welcoming people. I've never actually had any kind of an issue with That's anybody yeah. there and 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 then they're confused though the, like like they hear me speak and they're like you're American. Mm. <laughs> like with my American accent, they're like, you're American? Like, it's so shocking to them. <laughs> and they never ask me about race. Like, yeah. nothing. Like, I... I mean, I guess it could have happened and I just don't remember it, but I can't recall a single time being abroad, whether it was somewhere in the Middle East right. or another country and being asked my race.
0: Yeah. The only time that, cause I think all other countries are more nationalistic than we are. And we're yeah. like, we, we have to be divided here. We, cause I think even in Canada, Can, Canadians always said, Oh, you're American. You know, they didn't even say like what kind of what thing are you like and they kind of American what kind of American are you like they didn't do that Um, or like the stupid question what do you call your African-Americans in Canada like that kind of stuff didn't happen there but here you can't help it I will say though in in terms of Asians most of us can tell each other apart like by different head shape and eye shape and all kinds of things but the Koreans occasionally can fool the Japanese and my grandma because the Koreans and Japanese don't get along my grandma will get so mad if she mistakes a Korean for a Japanese.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) So, like, if
0: we're at a Japanese restaurant and a Korean kid is the waiter and they come up and they're, you know, then my grandma speaks Japanese and they're like, oh, I don't speak... Japanese. i'm korean and then my grandma's like i'm very upset you know then she just like she gets really (laughs) she gets really mad because then she'll go like why are you here why you know why are you in a japanese place because you're making everybody think we're the same and she thinks americans can tell us apart so she'll like you're making us look bad i'm like grandma we're all chinese to them they don't know it's fine uh, or, or whatever Asian was the first Asian they ever met. So if if their first Asian was... Like a white person's first Asian was Japanese, then all of us are Japanese. If, if not, they're all Chinese. Um, yeah, but she doesn't get it. And that's the only other time that I think like... Yeah, nowhere else have I ever been... People always want to know if I'm American. If... Like if I'm in Europe, they want to distinguish me from a Canadian. Are you Canadian or are you American?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then everywhere... I'm, I've only really been to like Canada and Europe and Mexico and um, Caribbean and stuff like that. So it's really just a question of am I American? And mm-hmm. even even black people from those other places aren't concerned about whether or not I'm black or not. They're concerned no, they're about not. whether or not I'm American.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've met black Moroccans, you know, um, black people from from all over Europe and um, all over, you know, like. English people, and they just like you don't care. Yeah, <laughs> like whatever. It's just it's an ama- it's an amazing thing to me, having grown up traveling that way, which is you know something I'm so grateful for. Okay. And coming back to the United States and immediately being transported to this place where like the color of my skin is so important. Um, and and of late, it's I've gotten more questions about it from black people, which has been interesting, hmm. like, it, it hasn't been, um, like, accusatory <laughs> or anything <laughs> like that. What else are you? Uh, yeah, but I think I think what's happening is that, because previously, I would really I would get weird, awkward questions from white people mm-hmm. about my race.
2: Sure, yeah.
1: Um, and now, black people are kind of asking a little bit more, and, and it's not, um, it's not invasive. It's really it seems to be this curiosity around um, people who are, are are black people that are black presenting, becoming more curious about mixed people and mm-hmm. like like wanting to a little bit know a little bit more about what that experience is like. Mm. Um, and just sort of being curious about that. There's only been one or two times when someone has been like angry with me for identifying even a little bit with blackness really? as a person who's on black presenting. Um, and, and, and it's only happened over social media. I've never had someone to my face. Okay. That makes sense, yeah. It. yeah. <laughs> so, and, it, and it hasn't happened that much really. It's only been a couple of times where somebody was like, you're not black. And I'm like, I didn't say that I was black. <laughs> Again, I understand that I'm not Black presenting, and I have a very different experience yeah. in this country, for than someone who is clearly a Black presenting person. I I understand that I have privilege because of the color of my skin. I've, you know, like I said before, I've seen that play out in real life. Mm-hmm. I can give you a real harsh example. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in Colorado, obviously. Like this is where my family is from, mm-hmm. and. I have some first cousins that are mixed just like me, same racial background, except my dad is black, my biological father is black, and their um, biological mother is black. Mm -hmm. Um, So their dad and my mom are siblings. Um, They're a little bit younger than me. But this weekend, as a family, we had all gone up to the mountains to go snowboarding for the day. And we went to Vail. And if anybody that's familiar with Vail, it's a one of the ritzier, mm-hmm. um, very white. I mean, all ski slopes are it's very pretty white. white. Yeah. But this one is, like, pretty up there like in, <laughs> in terms of, like, overall whiteness. Um, so we were <laughs> there. And we had come down. We had been snowboarding all morning. It was getting close to lunchtime, so we put up our snowboards and we were going to go get lunch before the lines got really long. Um, but my cousin and I needed to go over to the ATM. So we were walking over to the ATM and he was walking maybe two or three steps ahead of me. We walk up to the ATM. It's an outside ATM. You know, like one of those ones that's just on the side of a building. Mm -hmm. And there was an older white man at the ATM already. So he was doing his thing. And when he turned around My cousin and this man almost collided with each other. But my cousin stepped back and he goes, Oh, excuse me. And the man looked up and looked at him in the face and said, Get out of my way, you and word. And I was like, I was so stunned that I just froze. Like we both just froze. And it probably didn't look like we were together because he was a couple of paces ahead of me. And I don't look like him (laughs) right you know his skin is much darker than mine um and the that same man walked around my cousin and I was standing right there so either I was gonna have to move or he was gonna have to move and he looked at me and he smiled and he said oh excuse me miss and walked around wow are you serious yeah it was it ruined the whole day of course for both of us like we were both sick to our stomachs after life. like we didn't eat lunch we didn't snowboard for the rest of the day he was like i'll never come here again
0: right you'll never forget that that happened in that space you'll
1: never forget that that moment happened for what for for doing absolutely nothing for just for breathing for existing right and it's it's
0: to me hearing it it's almost as offensive hearing him say excuse me miss to you yeah and and you being invisible You're you know who your mixedness being invisible to him as it is him say which also in 2019 it's not like i don't know that people say it but when you do hear it in
1: 2019 it's so shocking yeah so shocking and and for him to feel that comfortable to just say it was public there were people milling around like it wasn't a, a private space it was public right and if there was ever a moment that highlighted my light skin privilege to me, it was that. Right. So I understand when some people are like, well, you're not you're not really black. And I'm like, wait a second, I'm not saying yeah. that I'm having the same experience as you, but you don't get to take any part of my identity no. from me either. Um, so that has been of late kind of a weird thing to have to navigate because I've never previously that i can recall had a black person like try to to uh, to uh define my identity for me right until and and maybe it's just like a social media thing where people just want to be assholes on the internet
0: yeah i think people are a lot more comfortable the only time that has ever happened something similar uh in terms of a black person making me feel less than black usually in in person the way it's happened is um, just to clarify, if I get pulled over and you get pulled over and you're like, yeah, I know, I know oh, that I'm know not going to have that, you know, I'm um, aware of that. so yeah. like, that's, that's kind of the worst it'll ever be in person. You know, um, when I was in junior high, oh no, when I was a freshman in high school, my best friend at the time, um, she and I had been best friends for a while, but, in ninth grade is when the return to Africa stuff started getting really popular. And so she became African during that time. And I was no longer black to her. So up until then I was black. I'm I'm growing up in the hood. You know, my dad is black. She sees my family. Um, But during that time she made this transition and she was like, I can't view you as black anymore. And we stopped being friends because of it. Um, And so that's like the worst of a person deciding for me that my blackness mm-hmm. or my relationship to blackness was, n- like, gone as far as she was concerned. It was just like all the way gone. But in now in social media, I don't get it too often, and I, I and I don't know if it's because I'm so forward with my ra- you know my race stuff. Mm-hmm. Like comes up like as a mixed person. A blah 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 blah. You know. Um, but when it does happen in social media, it is always somebody who. Um, I don't know why, but it's like almost personally offended by my pro-blackness mm-hmm. um, because I'm so pale. Yeah. So, and I'm like, well, what are you asking me to, to not be pro-black? <laughs> you know, because I can't not because of my, yeah. my upbringing and my environment, but also my pro-blackness doesn't necessarily mean that I'm anti-white or anti-anything else. It's just that I grew up black. Mm-hmm. I just happened to look, you know, pasty
1: (laughs) yeah it's um i think what i keep coming back to is that in this country we still in 2019 don't really have the tools
2: Mm.
1: to deal with race in a deeply meaningful um and inclusive way because we refuse to deal with our racist underpinnings as a country Mm -hmm. Um, so as long as we refuse to acknowledge and accept that um, slavery did in fact happen, and and the economy in this country was built on black human enslaved labor mm-hmm. of black people, until we're we're really ready to deal with that and acknowledge and accept it, and and try to find a way to move forward together, I think we're never really gonna have the t- the tools to deal with race on a larger level and and it continues to be the responsibility of people of color to try to solve racism and it continues to be the responsibility of black people to try to solve anti-blackness when it shouldn't be that way and so we're going to continue I think to have these rubs Mm -hmm. where you know some people are going to be personally offended um, when somebody who is light-skinned Um, wholeheartedly claims their blackness Mm -hmm. and white people are going to be like why are you doing that you pass I've had many white people be like oh you pass and I like Like it's the golden ticket. Yeah, like it's the golden ticket. And to me, that's like one of the most offensive things that you can say. (laughs) It's so, so (laughs) offensive. (laughs) Like I would rather you be like, I don't like black people to my face than say, oh, you passed. Congratulations.
0: It's like trying to explain to people why saying I don't even see you as a person of color. I don't even see you as black whatever. You're just like, how do you think that is a compliment or that it is now so telling About who you are because you think it's a compliment, you know, or that you would think I would think it's a compliment. Like, you must never listen to
1: me if you think I would be okay with that. I think we're going to just continue to find ourselves in these places where it's awkward and it's weird and it's confrontational Mm
2: -hmm. and there's
1: conflict around it. I don't think that conflict is a bad thing. I think we need to have more of these conversations, which is going to create conflict. Mm -hmm. Um, I think. I think generally, conflict is actually a good thing because it reveals what you really think, and it's it's you have to deal with the hard stuff to move forward. I, I think that conflict doesn't it's not bad. it It becomes toxic when it when it starts to turn to violence and degradation. Right, right That's when it's toxic. That's when that's what we need to stay away from. But I think you have to continue to have these conversations out in the open
2: mm-hmm.
1: where everybody can hear them and participate in them and process them. Otherwise we never get past this place. Right. You know, and so I think it's, I think, it, uh, you know, in the last few years, there's been these movements coming forward that have been about helping people really embrace their heritage, really embrace their blackness. Like, you know, hashtag black girl magic, I think is really a powerful statement mm-hmm. to make. And, and I love when I see women using that and, you know, it's on T-shirts and bumper suits and like whatever. Mm-hmm. I love when, when you see them doing that. And I love that there's, um, spaces now for mixed people um, being unapologetic Mm -hmm. (laughs) in accepting all parts of that identity and and wanting to learn more about it and deepen their understanding of of it. Um, I think it's a starting point to have those spaces that are like exclusively Black, exclusively mixed, exclusively Latinx, whatever it may be. But, as people of color, we have to engage. Like, yeah. we have to come together because the the larger power structure is not going to allow for it to happen on its own. So we have to be intentional mm-hmm. about bringing these conversations forward, having these conversations and celebrating each other. Right. Right. I, I absolutely. So I love, like I celebrate black girl magic. And when I see women doing that and really promoting and trying to support young girls who are black and saying, you know, embrace your natural hair and and love it. You don't have to straighten it if you don't want to, or if you want to, you want to strain your hair, then do it. But you know, you're, you're great either way. Right. Really embracing those things. And I, you know, I want to see, more Latinx people being able to express themselves wholeheartedly in, in that same way as well. But I think we're getting closer to it,
0: you know? Yeah, I mean, I hope, I hope it gets to a place where, it's, and, and maybe particularly with the Latinx community, where they can comfortably speak about the nuance of how many different ethnicities are rolled around inside Latinx people. You know, it seems like you do have to squat up or try, but yeah. depending on color or um, or location and things like that. Um, and it's something, you know, being on the outside of that, I see and I have a lot of questions about it because I um, because I'm concerned that I may not understanding it could cause problems. You know, like I feel like yeah. I need to understand the nuance of other people too, so that I, so that I don't make mistakes, but also so that I can stop people when I hear them make mistakes in the same way, um, at the party that you are talking about, mm-hmm. uh, no one's standing up and you having to be the representative for, you know, all racist, you know, racism, anti-racism mm-hmm. warrior type folks, um, that I could be able to do that on behalf mm-hmm. of a group that I'm not necessarily a part of because nobody else is speaking up, you know, that kind of stuff. I think that would be,
1: it's all very nuanced and you know i think that there's a lot of work that has to happen in non-black communities of color Mm -hmm. to address anti-blackness i agree because it exists in every single one of them whether we want to admit it or not and you know even like you know my mom's side of the family are latinx and um They don't, again, they don't identify that way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, I can recall situations growing up where there was a distinct anti-Black undertone. Mm -hmm. And it just being considered normal. Like, this is just the way they talked in the old days.
0: Right. And And that's a blanket statement to be like, it's okay.
1: These are blanket statements. And, you know, it's... Now they're things that I would never, ever let slide. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got to imagine, And I need to ask my mom about this. Um, I I haven't. I got to imagine that there was some backlash when she married a black man.
0: Yeah, I wonder about
1: that. (laughs) I I have to imagine that. Um, If you you find
0: out and you want to come back and talk about it, (laughs) let's get into it. I'm going to
1: ask her. Um, I mean, it was so long ago. She's like, I blocked that whole period, that whole marriage <laughs> out of my brain. I don't remember what happened. <laughs> like, okay, okay, mom. <laughs> just... Got it. <laughs> so I'm going to ask her anyway. I mean, knowing my great grandparents, my family, I, I want to say that there wasn't. And maybe I just have rose colored glasses about mm-hmm. them. Because as, as you know, growing up, I can't remember them saying racist things, yeah. but that doesn't mean it never happened. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but I have to imagine, like, my mom comes from a, a small, very small town in Colorado, so I had to imagine there was some kind Ahead of backlash. There had to have been.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and in my mom's own stories about race, like, I can remember her saying that when she was little, you know, the family they always wanted to keep her out of the sun because she mm. tans so easily. And she, like I said, she gets this bra- this really bronze color and people assume um, that she is, you know, Native American from from a tribe, so that she's indigenous somehow. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe way back in um, our heritage, there's some, indigenous genes in there it wouldn't surprise me this is colorado after all mm-hmm. um but you know she had talked about when she was a kid they they didn't want her to get dark yeah and i'm like well it, now as an adult looking back i'm like if that is an anti-blackness i don't know what I don't it know what, is right <laughs> i know <laughs> it's so weird these
0: things where like you think of them as caretaking but when you really start to pay attention to
1: what was going on you're like oh my childhood there was there was so (laughs) problematic and I don't know who would have said that to her because you know she spent a lot of time with my great-grandparents who are no longer with us and and I spent a lot of time with them growing up as well and I can't remember a single time of them saying anything to me about my color or trying to keep me out of the sun. Right. If right. anything, they were like, child, go outside. <laughs> like, You've got too much energy. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a, an interesting thing. And, you know, stories like that are just the tip of the iceberg of things that happen in the Latinx community. It's there. It exists. Um, we have to talk about it. Yeah. And, like we need to be honest about it. And I think um, we also have to give ourselves, I think, permission to grapple with it. Mm-hmm. And, Um, acknowledge that, that you didn't create it. Right. Right? Like it's, it's just been something that's been in the culture and you can either accept the culture or you can say like, there's there, these things are problematic Mm -hmm. and we need to do something about them. But in order to do that, you have to acknowledge that and be honest, you have to tell the truth about it. Right. Um, And I I think That grappling is starting to happen, but there's still so much work to be done. Right.
0: We have to give ourselves permission to understand that it's okay to be proud of who we are and where we come from, but that every one of us come from something problematic that we, you know, like you said, that we have to grapple with. And once we can understand that it's okay, that things weren't perfect, and we can, you know, understand that we are nuanced and stuff, um, that that puts us on a path, I think, towards... Yeah, at least the co- the collective thing. I think, like you were saying earlier, you know, kind of getting together and celebrating and and being and non Black people of color needing to step up and step you know step in mm-hmm. to I think is important because so many of us, especially those of us that are mixed, kind of feel confused by how we aren't more locked armed and and like right. oh we both suffer in some way. So why don't we mm-hmm. you know work together to lift each other up. But we, you know, instead we end up falling into the oppression Olympics and who has it worse than the others and, and stuff like that. So I think, you know, like you're talking about open conversation, understanding the problematic histories, working on healing, what that mean, you know, whatever it means for each individual person, um, that these are the kinds of things that I hope all the stuff that we do, like with the podcasting or conversations with people in p- public, you know, whatever we're doing that we're. I hate to say it like this, that we're almost always actively trying to help people get it, even though we're not necessarily responsible for it. So I don't know, there's times when I feel like I need to be yeah. an educator. And there's times when I feel like I just wish I didn't have to. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, it's, it's taxing, and it becomes exhausting. And I think when you have to, when you need to step out of it, um, and like, go incognito, you need to do that for you, Mm -hmm. you know, so that you can, you can stand up and fight another day. And, and so that's how, that's That's what I try to tell myself is like, there are just some days that I do not have the emotional capacity to deal with the racism around me. Like I just need to. And and like, and I'll just say like, I feel like sometimes um, people who are not people of color think that, us as people of color are constantly walking around thinking about race mm-hmm. and that isn't true. It's like, we're just trying to live our lives just like you, but there are constant in this country, constant, endless, unstoppable forces, always pulling our race mm-hmm. into our faces. Right. Like it's, it's so pervasive in the cult- culture. You can't get away with from it.
2: Yeah. It's in
1: advertising. It's in, you know, some of the colloquialism sayings that we say that we accept um, every day that, are, that actually have a very racist history. It's, you know, it's in microaggressions every yeah. day. Awesome. It's, it's in the news. If, if you're a student that's, you know, a, a, a student of color applying to colleges right now and you're watching the news, then you know that a bunch of privileged white kids' parents just bribe their kids' spot into mm-hmm. elite colleges taking that spot away from students that actually earned it
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know and, and it, didn't even br- have to
0: pay for bail to get didn't out
1: even ha- like, they just had
0: to say i promise to come back to court
1: yes is that not insane it's insane and and i promise you they won't spend a day in jail like i promise you right. they will not like it will be a slap on the wrist you know, things like that happening, and, and and it's like, so even when you're trying to get away from it, there's always something lurking the second you open your eyes in the morning reminding you of this, like, mm-hmm. I was really upset by that, because I remember when I got my acceptance letters for college, I had multiple white kids to my face tell me, oh, you only got accepted to that school because of affirmative action, uh. and I'm like... <laughs> you like I did the work motherfucker did the like work <laughs> I was here every day I did the homework I was in AP classes right I showed up for extra help when I needed help I was on the debate team I was in yearbook I, like, I, did, <laughs> it's like I, I had a job that entire time I played sports like and you barely show up to school and you think that you deserve to get into an elite college you right know, you like so you know even on a day like like today when I'm just like trying to mind my own business and trying to live my life and run my business and live, you know, just do whatever. And the first bit of news is like, again, this college entrance scandal. And I'm like, I understand the anger of these kids because (laughs) I've been there. And (laughs) also hard. If they (laughs) couldn't get in on their own,
0: Especially, like, here in Los Angeles. Your mother is an actress. Your father is an actor. You guys are famous. If you can't get into an L.A. school off the fame of your parents and they have to pay a $500,000 to get you in, if that doesn't even work, like... You're not gonna survive there. Like, no. what's the point of bribing your way in? You're not you're gonna, gonna be able to it. be able to make it. So, like, and this is a, this is L.A. Like, I'm from, I live out here. So, like, there's so many things you can get just by saying you're related to somebody.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's amazing that this even had to happen. It's amazing that they didn't have to pay bail to get out. It's amazing that there's a there's many many black mothers in prison or have felony charges because they lied about an address just so the kids can go to a school where they weren't afraid of their kids for having a lower education or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just like the unbalance, the yes. the inability for people to see the unbalance mm-hmm. is the it's part. Willful is what
1: it is. It it's is, willful. It's
0: willful ignorance, <laughs> and you're just like, look. look at these two things that are exactly the same situation (laughs) like how can you not see it's the same it's just uh it's so frustrating um and disappointing in in humanity and all that kind of stuff uh but we are getting close to the end or a little bit over which i don't mind because it was awesome conversation so um trying to get shake off the white people whiting thing um let's talk about something (laughs) that you what do you love (laughs) the caucasity um the adventures in caucasia um (laughs) what do you love about being mixed
1: you know i think that it it just affords me this level of freedom to be in different spaces and experience things in, in a very deep authentic way that some people will never never understand or experience. And, and although they might ally themselves or celebrate and support, um, it's not quite the same, I don't think. Um, so I, I definitely appreciate that, that there's such a rich history in my heritage that I can engage with and learn about and just be a part of is, is my favorite thing about yeah. it and especially
0: too with your upbringing getting to move around to all those different places and infusing your life with all those other different cultures too um, however that manifests in your day-to-day is probably really awesome too
1: <laughs> yeah I mean it's it's a different thing um, when people really get to know me they're like so wait let me get this straight. so you're mixed so you're like you're half black and you're half latina but like culturally you're both American. And Arabian, and I'm like, yeah, like, yeah that's so very yeah, accurate. <laughs> yeah, all of that. That's. And awesome. like, so like you've lived in the Middle East. I'm like, yup. yep. Yeah. That's so funny.
0: That's that's awesome. I do. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we didn't do like a pre-screen like I I usually do, but I feel like this was just great. We just jumped right in and had a good old time. So I thank you for sharing your story with me and with the audience. Uh, why don't you tell everybody how to find. Both your shows, where you are on social media, your website, everything.
1: Sure. So for podcasting, you can find me at That's What She Did Podcast, which is available iTunes and Spotify and like all of the apps. Of the um, apps. And that's a show about the women leaders, rebels and innovators you've probably never heard of with a focus on women of color so we tell those stories every women's history month so as we're recording this it's women's history month in mm-hmm. march and so we just launched well i just launched i should say i do it too i say we even it was just me <laughs> it was me i did it i just launched season take that three. credit take that black girl magic <laughs> <laughs> and that um, and it's doing really well. just got a, an honorable mention by USA today so I encourage you to check out that's what she did podcast. And in my business life, I'm by day a PR strategist but mostly a health coach and personal trainer for women online and in person helping them feel great in their bodies, get real with about their health and unleash their inner badass. and so I recently launched a podcast in the wellness space called the skin you're in podcast available again on iTunes, Spotify, all of the apps, pretty much wherever you get your podcast. So check that out. And you can find me on my website, tangiarene.com with more information about what I do in my business services on the, the gram is probably where I hang out the most. You can find me there <laughs> the gram. at like, like, I have a, a gram for all of the, the things. So do so. I. It's so <laughs> exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> but on Instagram, I'm probably mostly at hello gorgeous fitness. So you can find me there on the Instagram or you can find me at, um, uh, the skinnier in pod on instagram or that's what she did podcast on instagram <laughs> i love um, it like so many things on twitter and Tangi renee like all of the things like just put in Tangie renee all of the things will, come, the things up. will come up and Tanji i will renee put, put them in the show
0: notes also for the audience <laughs> Well, again, thank you so much. This has been an awesome conversation. I'm hyped to hear that your show got um, spotted out or spotlighted. How did I say that? All goofy like that. That your show got spotlighted <laughs> on USA Today. Um, I'm excited to see other women of color in this podcasting space. Just
1: like, yeah, blowing me past too.
0: everything. It's so exciting when I see it, and I'm I'm really. Um, The only show of yours that I have listened to, though, is the the skin you're in and the just like how transparent you are about your own experience and your own journey, I think really sets the tone for what they're going to get out of your show as they as you you know, you continue to listen on. And I know that you interview like experts in different areas Mm -hmm. and things like that. So it just seems like a really helpful and nice space to know that a woman of color is creating for other women of color, because we don't always translate with some of the other wellness things that are out there in the world. So I appreciate that from you as well.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. So for the Skinner and podcast, um, since it's related to our conversation today, I am planning an episode that's about um, the cultural significance of food mm. oh. um, and how that plays into our wellness. And so I'm, I haven't recorded it yet. It's just like on my planning I'm list, but I, it, yeah. it'll, I'll get it done um, and I'm gonna be talking about some of my personal experiences as being a mixed race woman of color and and navigating food obligations and and trying right. to get my fitness together at the same time. Right. So. That, that's yeah. I'm sure that, that I'm sure everybody listening could
0: appreciate that episode because damn, sometimes it's rough. Yeah,
2: <laughs> the struggle is the struggle is real. <laughs>
0: Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media, turn your side hustle into your main hustle.